Do you remember the last time you picked up a pen and noticed the quality? How about a razor you handled that didn't feel cheaply made? When was the last time a product made a true and lasting impression on you? In this era of the mass-produced and disposable, anything lovingly handcrafted seems to be a rare thing. Maybe it's time for a change, and Spindlecraft can help. At Spindlecraft, passion and superior quality make it stand out from the faceless, automated crowd. Material for each piece of work is thoughtfully chosen, crafted, sanded, and finally polished with the kind of attention to detail and dedication you can't get off of an assembly line. At Spindlecraft, they know that quality of the material is as important as the quality of the craftsmanship and is a reflection of both the artist and the customer. So rather than buying some cheap pens or razors that you won't give a second thought, purchase something from Spindlecraft. To see what they have to offer, go to www.spindlecraft.com and at the checkout, enter the word GEEKS. That's G-E-E-K-S to get 10% off. We're sure that once you have a Spindlecraft product in your hand, you won't want to put it down. Welcome to the Freaking Geeks Podcast, the flagship podcast of Freaking Geeks Media. In this podcast, hosts Michael, Sarah, and Barry crank the geekiness to 11, covering everything from movies and television to pop culture, video games, books, and so much more. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The podcast is produced each week, so feel free to add us to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. The links will be in the show notes. Okay, now it's time to start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Jacob, in this episode, and we are covering The Outlaw King that just came out on Netflix about, what, a week ago? Is that right? Yeah. About a week ago. Um. So, yeah. Hi, Jacob. Thanks for coming on. This is going to be exciting. You picked this movie, right? Uh, yes. Okay. I, uh, I enjoy myself some Scottish historical films or anything involving Scotland. Right, because you have Scottish, you have, you have Scottish heritage in your family. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if anyone were to look up my uh, my last name, is actually a very uh, relatively famous clan in really? Scotland history. Yes. Oh, what uh, could you tell? Do you can you give any information on the on the clan? Oh uh, yeah. Um, it was uh, my last name is Forbes. Uh, so the uh, there's actually also a a Forbes castle in scotland as well so like it was a relatively large uh clan for not being you know one of the big famous ones uh like um fraser or anything like that and i know a lot of people uh know of that clan because of the show outlander stuff like that but um no yeah we um we didn't have a big chunk and we were definitely not in the highlands we were more on the southern part of Scotland and whatnot, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to you know to know that you have like family history like that. Oh yeah, and the There's... fact you actually know about it because I can honestly tell you I don't know much about my family. Go back far enough, and I can't tell you. I mean, I could have royalty in my family, and I wouldn't know it. So <laughs> you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think I've gone back further than. I think 150 years or so, maybe 200 yeah. years, and then that's it. So, 
But uh, yeah, anyway, we are doing The Outlaw King in this episode. Uh, This is a movie that uh, just came out on Netflix. Um, I saw, you know, the stuff pop up about it. You you recommended uh, this as a pick for the podcast because uh, obviously you were interested in it. I watched the, the trailer for the movie. It looked interesting. And the fact is most people, most people have probably seen Braveheart at some point in their life, if you're old enough, I would guess. Um, and this uh, ties in with that because obviously there are characters that appear in Braveheart, uh, namely... You have the main character in this movie, uh, David the Bruce, and he appeared in Braveheart. Now, we were speaking briefly uh, before this <laughs> this podcast started recording that, uh, you know, for, for all of the things that – there are some good things about Braveheart. Unfortunately, when it comes to historical accuracy, that is not one of them. <laughs> and you know, we—I was just reading an article before we started record where it said that Braveheart is one of the least historically accurate films of all time, and there are some doozies on that list. So, the fact that you could claim that is the the least historically accurate film of all time is really something. And uh, sadly, it 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 won Best Picture and Best Director. I mean, Best Director, I think, could be argued was maybe deserved, but. Um, Everything else, maybe not quite so much, but but you got to remember back in 1995, the internet was young, and you know we didn't have the kind of widespread social media that we have now. Because if Braveheart came out a couple of years ago, it would have been destroyed, you know, based on his, all that historical issues, right? Oh yeah, oh gosh, yeah. Like it, it's so easy nowadays for any little bit of inaccuracy or just what have you to get called out and just plastered over the internet and if braveheart would have come out like oh my gosh like i mean there's even now like so many different videos or articles or so many different things to just depict how inaccurate braveheart is so yeah. like just seeing like if it would have come out a few years ago and gotten that nomination, somebody would have just ripped it apart just to make sure it didn't even come close to winning best picture. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't have. Uh we've seen other films in the past get uh you know kind of destroyed in a lot of ways, um based on stuff like that. Things that have happened since the internet really has matured. Uh, I remember, you know, movies like the hurricane that came out back around, like I think 2000, I want to say, uh, the one with the Denzel Washington is, is, uh, a boxer who was, um, you know, sent to prison for a, a crime he didn't commit. And, uh, there were some issues there. And I think that had an effect on Oscar stuff and all that. So it, it can pose a real problem if you don't, if you don't try to stay as accurate as you can, and I know there are times where you can't, but uh, you know this. Th- thankfully, this movie, for the most part, seems to go in the other direction from Braveheart, which I guess was my point here. Is this movie uh, seems to do a good job of being fairly accurate, uh, even down to the weapons that were used uh, on the battlefield, which Braveheart got correct but there are details of the swords which 
were not correct. So there's a notch in the bottom of the swords, which were were used um, by blacksmiths when they were creating the swords back then because it helped to make the swords lighter. Um, and that was the process in which they created the swords. And so when in, in battle, you know, you're job was to move quickly and you that was that was how you lived obviously and uh to be able to make the swords lighter was a big uh big deal it was just the way things were done and in this movie nearly all the swords were that way and if you look closely they they have that notch so that's what i talk about that that's the details that you get in this movie that other movies would just not care about. They wouldn't even think about them. They wouldn't look into the weaponry and, oh, let's make sure this is accurate. So that's something that I wanted to mention before we get into it. But before we get into anything more, uh, let's do the rundown here of the facts. So The Outlaw King was released on November 9th, 2018. It was written by Bathsheba Duran, David McKenzie, and James McInnes. Directed by David McKenzie with a runtime of two hours and one minutes, a budget of $120 million. Now, there really isn't any box office because this was released directly to Netflix. And it stars Chris Pine, Stephen Delane, Aaron Taylor Johnson, James Cosmo, and Florence Pugh. So uh, before we get into anything, uh, I wanted to make a recommendation uh, in this week's episode. And it's not going to be a movie. It's not going to be a TV show. It's actually going to be a book. And it's it's a movie that I've seen because the book was adapted, um, I think it was a 2010, into a movie. And I decided last week that I wanted to sit down and read the book. And it is called The Lincoln Lawyer by Michael Connolly. So um, some people like, you know, books about lawyers and, and things like that. Um, if you're a Michael Crichton fan, there's, there's plenty of, of those in there. But... Uh, Michael Connelly is a really good uh, author. I've read some of his books and I decided, okay, I've seen The Lincoln Lawyer as a movie. I want to I want to sit and read the book. Uh and it is fantastic. So if you want to to read a good kind of legal thriller, um you can definitely see when you read the book as to why it was adapted because it just feels like a, a book that is <laughs> was made for adaptation. Uh, but it's very good, strong characters, good writing, and uh, I do recommend it. It's not it's not usually geeky uh, recommendation here, um, but it is a good book. And if it's something that's up your alley, I do recommend picking it up. Sounds good. Yeah, I remember the movie was really good as well. So if it, if yeah, it was, has uh, too much to pull from the book, then the book I'm sure is pretty well or pretty well done as well. So. That, that was the uh, yeah started um, Matthew McConaughey and yeah. that started the as they called the McConaissance a few years <laughs> because that was like the movie that really kicked off his he had just come off so many bad bad terrible awful rom com movies he'd been doing for almost a decade at that point and um, that's kind of like where he started his ascent <laughs> horrible movies oh they're so bad so so bad. Uh, okay, so anyway, back into what we're here for. So one sentence review. Uh, the Outlaw King manages to rise above, above some script-related issues by leaning on excellent actors, some wonderful uh, pro- production design, and excellent direction by David McKenzie. Cool. Um, mine is Outlaw King is a fine cinematic telling of an important moment in Scottish history that doesn't shy away from the historical details and the 
gruesome nature of battle. Sure. That's definitely applies to this movie for sure. Yeah. <laughs> this movie, it, yeah, it, it does a really um, good job of showing the brutality of war and it doesn't shy away from it. Even the outside of the war aspect too, just like uh, some of the small interactions that the prince and the king have, like, man, it, like, like we'll, we'll get into later, but drawn and quartered, like just showing that so like, like it's nothing is yeah really crazy and because back in the day it really was very common and a lot of people don't necessarily like to think about how commonplace that was especially in Europe yeah it was common oh yeah it was very common we've we've definitely come to a certain extent we've come a long way to a certain extent, <laughs> uh, this is um, uh, something that happened quite a bit. You're right. All right, so let's uh, let's jump in here. So plot synopsis. So basically, what this movie is about is that uh, David the Bruce has been crowned uh, the king of Scotland, and in return for fealty to the crown, he is given an English bride. And uh, however, later. Uh, he revolts uh, against England, and he and his countrymen find themselves in exile and pitted against a monarchy that is dedicated to more or less bringing them under heel. Uh, because, you know, William Wallace has just been brought down. So uh, now you have somebody else who has decided that they are going to, you know, defy the throne. And we, we can't have that, obviously. <laughs> um. So let's get into it here. Uh, why don't you start out? I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to kind of let you lead us in this uh, episode. Um, I want you to kind of just take it where you want to go because you uh, <laughs> you picked this movie. This is kind of your thing. So I'm going to let you kind of dictate what we talk about here. I want you to bring up the, the subjects here. Um, all right. Uh, well, it was, uh, it was really amazing to kind of see how well – uh, just some of the actors did and, and a lot of people may or may not be able to pull out the information that they're, they definitely use some Game of Thrones actors that can handle this kind of uh, scene style and acting and you know the material <laughs> oriented yeah like basically something that is very much a timepiece in every way shape and form um but it was really interesting, and I loved the fact that they they didn't show William Wallace. They didn't focus on him in any way, but he was that catalyst, and like he was in history for Robert the Bruce. Like we, everyone knows if they've watched Braveheart, everyone knows William Wallace. No one can. No one needs to be. It's like with the whole origin story of so many other movies we don't need to have it hammered down our throats because it's not a movie about him mm-hmm. and i'm uh, really glad they made sure he wasn't he was there enough to get things where they needed to go for the movie uh chris pine did a fantastic job i loved his performance in this he just the moments where 
like it showed Robert the Bruce. I know every, a lot of people, if they were to look him up, they it's he's depicted as uh, a bastard, Robert the Bruce. Like every like every historical thing that has ever really talked about him has always kind of shown him as this bastard character that is just horrible. Mm-hmm. But uh, this depiction of him, and I. I'm amazed by the subtlety that Chris Pine was able to bring to it. Uh, he was able to have those lighthearted moments or the serious moments or the just everything about him. Like he had such a range with this character and it, he did so good on that. Uh, especially the, the moment they announced like in I think about 20 or 30 minutes in after everyone was, Fine with, you know, being under the rule of England, at least in these clans after the fealty, even though he really wasn't. He was fine accepting it for the time until William Wallace was killed uh, and basically put up on display in Scotland. And that triggered him, clearly. Uh, So it was really well done seeing, like, how he portrayed that aggression aggression for England without overdoing it. Like he really did the restrained aggression and uh, crap um, uh, need for Scotland to oppose England. Like he, he definitely showed that really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, uh, trying to unite the clans, um, him going around trying to get all of that done was so, so amazing to see because and that's another thing a lot of people may not know is that Robert the Bruce wasn't when he got crowned king. Not a whole lot of Scotland wanted him as king. Yeah, <laughs> he he was not necessarily like people were fine with England at the time. Like a lot of Scotland was, and it was really. Like it was devastating to see uh, because you kind of just feel for him and his men. Like so many times they're like, oh, we're going to be fine this time. Nope. You're going to get ambushed at night and have 75% of your men killed. Uh, One of the clans is going to let you pass. But as you go to rest and cross a river, nope, you're going to get attacked by him now. And it really shows such a uphill battle that he had mm-hmm. yeah i agree um but yeah uh i will like it would definitely like i mentioned in my one sentence review i if you are a squeamish individual i might suggest to uh avoid some of the scenes in this uh outside of just the battle scenes there's plenty of moments where there's going to be blood, there's going to be guts, there's going to be all kinds of entrails and, 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 yeah, and, and blood every, flying everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like I mentioned, um, seeing the scene where, uh, I think it, I believe it was his, uh, brother got drawn and quartered by the prince. Like it, it was literally like they did not, shy away from it they straight up showed the knife going into his stomach going around and 
gutting him completely and showing all that just fall to the floor. Like, ah, yeah, but pretty, pretty brutal stuff uh, at the end of the day. You know, I'll tell you what, I, I got to agree um, with everything you're saying here. I think this movie, it, it's, uh, it, like I said, it, it, set aside the historical accuracy for a second and let's just focus on the characters. I agree. Yeah. I think that Chris Pine does a fantastic job as David the Bruce. Um, I think Chris Pine is one of those actors. I know he's kind of like, you know, this A-list actor because of Star Wars, obviously. Oh, Star Wars, I'm sorry, Star Trek. How dare I say that? Um <laughs> But he's um, he's an actor that I think he's he's an A list actor, but I think he's an a, an actor who maybe doesn't ever get quite the credit he deserves for being as good of an actor. It's like sometimes when you see actors get elevated to A list because of a popular movie, like something like Star Trek or Star Wars or. Uh, where it's kind of like a special effects extravaganza kind of movies like that where. You rise to the A-list maybe to a certain extent based a little more on the success of the movie as opposed to maybe you in particular. Uh, I guess if I'm, if I'm trying to explain myself here or, you know, in terms of like how I feel that some actors get elevated to the top, be not maybe because they do an amazing job or because you know, they've just won an Oscar or something, which is kind of like the, the validation more or less for, for an actor who is able to kind of hit this really high level of, you know, their talent and, and do a great job in a movie. And I feel like Chris Pine, for whatever reason, is an, he's an A-list actor, but he's just never kind of given quite the uh, respect, I feel like, that other actors get. Even though if you look at his filmography, he's a fantastic actor who's done a, a real wide range of movies. And he's acquitted oh, yeah. himself very well in a lot of these movies. We just watched uh, – I mean, Wonder Woman is, is a good example. I mean, he elevated that movie. He really did. I mean, if you look at Wonder Woman, he's one of the reasons why that movie is so good. Um, but he's done a lot of other a lot of other fantastic movies out there. And I've always been impressed by what he's done in the the – rules that he's been able to um, attach himself to. So he really acquits himself well, but I want to bring up um, an actress here by the name of uh, what's it, Florence Pugh. Yeah. So she is uh, the, she is his English, English wife. Um, and she is feisty. <laughs> Put it that way. Um <laughs> You know, she she's she's this, this feisty English woman, and I love how their relationship develops in this movie. They start out as two people that don't know each other at all, and it takes them, you know, a little while to warm up. But the turning point is a moment in which she comes out and basically stands up for people being hurt, and she is the the reason why things don't get worse. And you can tell that. Robert is so um Robert is so impressed by her strength that like that's the turning point in their relationship where they go from two people who seem cordial to each other but are obviously not close because they just met and uh the beginnings of of a real true relationship and I think a relationship of equals I, I think this isn't the 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 way it's presented isn't the same kind of relationship that you know other people might have where you have the woman who's 
you know, very subservient to her husband. I mean, she is, she'll follow him anywhere, obviously, but she has the strength of character that he respects. And it's that kind of respect that allows them to stand more as equals as opposed to, I'm the king, you are just my wife who I keep in the bedroom. And there we go. You know, that's where you belong, that kind of thing. Um, and I was impressed by the actress. I thought she she was great. And I love what she did with the character. And I love their relationship in this movie because it felt like um, just a fantastic dynamic, you know, representation of of this relationship. And I hope, and I don't know this, but I hope that in, in real life that this was, hope, you know, their relationship, what it, what it was like between them. Um, I believe so. Uh, there's not as much about her. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff about, you know, Robert the Bruce is takes more focus on the the battles and his kingdom and whatnot. Um, because you know it was the first war of independence and whatnot, and dealing with England. Um, I believe it was pretty accurate to how she was in real life. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm not as familiar with his wife. Um, but I believe yeah, she was pretty, pretty feisty. It kind of had to be to deal with, uh, Robert the Bruce because <laughs> he was definitely like, even though it definitely showed him a very human side of him in this, like in the battle scenes, he was definitely a very, a very you know skilled warrior and was willing to do whatever it took so it was it, it was definitely uh she she was definitely feisty i remember reading a little bit about that like she had to be she definitely was willing to stand up for stand up alongside him and handle some of the needs that were that had to arise with trying to win Scotland's freedom. So, yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely well done. Uh, so let's look at, at the way this movie plays out because you have uh Robert uh, he get he basically goes into exile and you know, he and the prince have, you know, have a, <laughs> a testy relationship. Uh, to say the least, uh, early early in the movie, they're fighting, you know, each other, kind of half for real, half for fun, I guess. You know, uh, obviously they're very competitive. You know, this is before things turn bad, though. You know, this is before the relationship between Robert and and just Bill, the country in general, and the monarchy really dissipates. So, you earlier mentioned how there was initially no problem with having England as, you know, the monarchy, you know, things were fine until basically they started to push, put their, or push around the people, throw their weight around and more or less make the conditions, uh, insufferable in the country. And that's when, you know, you started to see a a rebellion and Robert basically saying he's, you know, enough, this is enough is enough. This is ridiculous. And, what did you think of the relationship between both he and uh, the prince? I thought it was interesting because it really showed that, um, like, the, this isn't 
like oh this is just now happening like they they are just now interacting like especially at the very beginning it showed like they even talked about how they used they grew up together like they i mean he like robert the bruce even before this was from nobility in scotland so they did have multiple interactions before this whole situation so it's it was really amazing to see how the 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 rivalry like it, it was it wasn't like oh it's just because he's opposing the kingdom kind of deal but more so like they've always been rivals they've always been at odds against each other so it really showed like the prince was was wanting to prove himself not only to the king uh his father but i don't know he was trying to prove that he was the better warrior in comparison to robert as well so like it was really interesting to see that dynamic and show that it wasn't as much a he's solely doing his princely duties but he's you know he has that issue of pride and ego in himself that he wants to prove he is better yeah, in well, every way, shape, or form, and he even shows that at the end, like when everything starts to turn against England, he he's like, "I'm going to be a better king. I'm going to be just in every way, shape, or form better than you were." Right, because well, he viewed his father as is to a certain extent as weak because his father was merciful, and we were alluded to that fact early in the movie. When he even well, he said basically that exact thing, is that you know my my father, you know my one one weakness of my father, something like I'm paraphrasing, but something like my, the one weakness of my father is that he has been merciful, and he alludes to the fact that he is not merciful, and so later on in the movie, whenever we do get that line from him, it it goes back to the earlier line and kind of lines up and, and it shows that he did mean what he said you know in that moment so i think that uh you know it's an interesting relationship between you know he and robert um two people that obviously um have a, a relationship in a in a shared history but i like that in the end you know he ended up being this this sniveling cowardly crying guy on the on the battlefield you know because despite all his bluster he didn't uh he didn't win yeah and i mean i it's one of those things as well like i could tell he was going to be that character it, it seems like every every single time i see any character involving this kind of time period with that haircut <laughs> i swear it's always like this weird like bowl cut hairstyle that he had and like the moment i saw that and i'm like man this guy's gonna be a just sniveling weasel like come on now okay so i guess my question here i should probably bring this up is you know we've talked about some of the good things in this movie obviously look the production design in this movie and i guess i haven't mentioned this quite like i'd like to uh the production design in this movie is brilliant uh, before oh. we started recording, uh, I said about how the verisimilitude 
with this movie is just amazing. You know, you feel like when you're watching this movie that you are there. You are you're in the 1300s, and uh, you're just they transported everybody back to 1300s because from the muddy roads to the costumes to the clothing to the swords. Uh, I mentioned the swords earlier. Uh, everything in this movie feels like we're in that time period. And some movies cut corners. Some some movies don't have the budget. This was a $120 million movie. So obviously they had the ability to spend months and months in pre-production making sure that all the details were correct. Now, I'm not saying that if you're an eagle-eyed uh, viewer that you can't spot mistakes. There probably are some in this movie. Uh, very few movies, if any movies, are are perfect in that regard. But I feel like just looking at this movie, I can tell that there was a lot of time and effort spent on making sure that the costumes and oh, yeah. and everything was done as accurately as they could, um, and it shows. So, look, the production design is fantastic. I think the acting is is very good in this movie. I think the directing by Mackenzie is is. Excellent. I I think maybe I think Hell and High Water was better. Um, I think maybe his direction in Hell or High Water was a little better than this. Um, but it's still very very good here. And there's a a was it a nine minute tracking shot that opens this movie, which is is really nice to see. I mean, it you know look tracking shots can be a little gimmicky. They can right if you don't employ them in the right way. They come across as a little gimmicky, but in this regard, I felt like, you know, Mackenzie, you know, did a really nice job with the tracking shot and conveying the information. So we've got some really good stuff. So my question for you is, uh, what didn't you like about this movie? What criticisms do you have? Do you felt like the story sagged at any point in time? Um, do you feel like the pacing was a little off? Um, what do you have in that? I guess that uh, criticism area. Um, well, I will say, I think like I, it, I'm pretty sure like this is meant to be a series of movies because of the way it was shot. And I think they're wanting to try and make multiple movies involving the history of Robert the Bruce up to his death. Um, just kind of the way it ended kind of makes me think that's what they're going to do with it. I, I really hope because it kind of, I don't know, it, it clearly wasn't the end of the overall story. It was definitely, it ended on that battle and him getting Elizabeth back. Yeah. So I clearly, they're, I, I believe they're trying to make this into a, you know, a series of movies and whatnot. Uh, I hope so, because that's one thing I will say. Oh, this is really only a very small portion of Robert the Bruce's history. Uh, not saying it's in any way, shape or form bad that they did it, but some of the other aspects clearly is going to be, you know, more impressive, more uh, drawn out and explained because he's got a lot of other stuff that happens later on that, was very important to Scottish history. Uh, I will say, I think the pacing could have been a little, there, there were a few moments where it really went 
like zero to a hundred back to zero real fast. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was I, for some people it could be very jarring and it was a little noticeable of like, which I mean, it, historically that could be how, I mean, that's how a lot of scenarios were. They weren't, you know, drawn out. Like a lot of situations were fast. They were like these little ambushes weren't meant to be drawn out or anything like that. So I think, just some some more fleshing out of the history of Robert the Bruce and kind of some of the other stuff because uh, there's a lot to him and I I want to see more of it and I wish they could have I mean it was very long they this was originally a four hour cut movie yeah they had to cut some stuff like but I would love to see some of that other scenes like seeing what else they kind of fleshed out for him because mm-hmm. yeah I, w- I would love to see that and i kind of am sad i didn't get to see uh another interaction between robert the bruce and the king yeah uh, i think like that we got nice. the one at the very beginning and then that was it and i kind of am sad because the one thing they did not do historically accurate was the death of the king he it was in the movie before the battle uh in history it was actually after the battle and also not at that location but um i kind of i don't know i would have liked to have seen their interaction one more time before the they showed the king's death uh because yeah, at the beginning, you you could see it was a tenuous relationship. It was very stressful, and I'd like to see how angered both sides were by the other, and just like seeing the betrayal because both sides felt that way. Both sides felt like they were just screwed over in every way, shape, and form. So it would have been interesting to see that interaction one more time. Yeah, and speaking of the king, Stephen Delane, uh, who played Stannis, Stannis Baratheon in Game of Thrones, uh, plays the king here. You know, I, I kind of feel, and I'm not saying he did a bad job, he did a fine job, but I think that, uh, I feel like the actor is probably starting to become a little typecast, um, because if you look at his betrayal of Stannis and you look at his betrayal here of the king, it feels a lot like the same character or a very, very similar character with a similar temperament, uh, with the, even just the way his like intonation and everything with his words. Now I know he has an accent here, but just the way he's speaking, even the cadence feels very similar to, um, the way he portrayed Stannis. So it's one of those things where I don't think the portrayal is bad, but I kind of feel like the actor himself is, is, you think he needs to break out and try something completely, do a comedy or something, because, um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems weird to say that, but he does. He needs to do something a little different. Um, it just doesn't feel like he um, was given the opportunity to do anything different. And maybe the character is this way, and, and that's the way he needed to be played, but at the same time, it just feels very much like Stannis to me. Um, so let me... Th- think here oh uh james cosmo who is an actor if you if you look at him you're like ah, i recognize that guy yeah you probably should because he was in braveheart yeah yeah <laughs> so he played he played uh robert's father in this movie 
And uh, if you go back to 1995 when he did Braveheart, uh, he was – I can't remember his character's name, but um, he was in that. He was one of the Scottish uh, – one of the Scottish people in – his name was Campbell. Campbell, and, yeah, and uh, Braveheart. Yeah, and he got you know he was very like a very tough old gritty warrior that kind of thing. But anyway, I so I, was, I kind of thought, oh, that's nice, you know, he's in Braveheart now he's in this movie, you know, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, look, I think the the pacing in this movie could have been a little better. Uh, oddly enough, it's two hours, but I think one of the problems that I had, and it stems from the fact that this was a four hour cut. Even though I didn't feel like editing-wise they did a, a bad job here, I, I do think pacing-wise it's a problem. There were there are moments in time in this movie where I was unsure how much time had passed. Uh, you know, not that I need a marker to come up and say two years later or anything, but I was just like I was confused at times because I didn't know how much time had passed in the movie. And then eventually I caught up to the fact that, oh, okay, this is a couple of years later. You know, yeah. and it it's um it's a little disorienting when you can't figure out how much time has gone by, because there's nothing in this movie that clearly says, "Oh, look, it's now three years later," and you're so you're constantly trying to readjust to figure out where you are in terms of the story, the time frame. Uh, that I feel like could have been they could have done a lot of things. They could have have tossed up some kind of uh, subtitle, and but they didn't have to. I just feel like they needed to make that a little more apparent in some way. So that was a little uh, off-putting. Another thing was that there were moments where I was um I was just a little I was a little confused by what was going on in terms of just the general story. Uh I I was like what wait what's going on here? What what am I looking at? What, 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 yeah. You know, like it, and I think that just stems from it being a 4-hour movie where they they always knew they were going to cut out at least an hour or or more, yeah. but I feel like um, maybe in that editing process, it got to a point where there were just going to be points in the movie in which people were going to have to catch up to what was going on or or maybe just be a little quicker, I guess. And I'm generally pretty quick, quick with stuff like this. I don't... I don't usually get all that um, confused as what's going on in a movie, um, but in this instance, I did feel like I was unsure of uh, what was going on at times, uh, which I think comes down to probably just, I said, like a pacing slash a bit of an editing problem. Um, but overall, I th- thought it was okay, you know, editing-wise uh, and pacing-wise, I thought they did a, a pretty decent job there. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things like with the whole like not knowing how much time has passed it's kind of hard not like you really need to have that in one of these kind of movies that's a like it's a a time piece like you kind of need to have a little bit clearer like not necessarily subtitle like you said but like maybe have somebody mention it in passing conversation like how much time has actually passed like there's so many ways they could have kind of done that a little bit better. I agree with you. Cause like it was, there's moments. Yeah. By the time you realize how much time has passed, it's like, Oh wait, we're already back into this little action scene. Like it kind of makes you feel like they don't get any rest, even though like, Oh, there's 
But yeah, there was uh, quite a few, quite a bit of time that passed between that and this now. So, and I think that's also a problem too. You're right. Um, there's no, there's no let up in this movie. Uh, now, in some movies, that works to its credit. Uh, take a movie like um, Speed. You know, go back to 1994. Um, that movie is is. It's just a movie that thrives on propelling the action forward. That's that's the movie. That's the point. Um, movies like that, movies that are very quick from the get-go uh, and don't really let up, that's not a problem. It just depends on what kind of movie you're telling and what kind of story you're trying to tell as well. And some movies benefit from being at a slower pace. Slower-paced movies don't equate bad movies. Yeah. The pacing is... Uh, you know, when you when you look into movies, pacing it, it pacing is nothing more than the rate at which the story is being told, how much information is give, being given out over time. If I give a bunch of information and then there's a twenty minute period in the middle of the movie where nothing is happening, that's not a great that's not great pacing because uh, that is hey story 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 is being told and then nothing for twenty minutes and then more stories being told and then there's ten minutes of just nothing. You know, it's it's the rate at which you tell the story and if you tell it. You know, consistently over time, or whether it be two hours, two and a half hours, three hours, as long as there's enough story for that time, you know, period, that two and a half hour, two hour period, or however long that movie is, that's partly what equates good pacing. And you know, here, I think the problem is that the problem I think here is that uh, the movie just it didn't um, give. It had actually too much to tell and not enough time, weirdly enough. There wasn't any let up. There wasn't any time to catch your breath in this movie. Yeah. So that I think is, is kind of the problem here. Is oh, um, for sure. It was just like a battle's over, boom, we're on to the next scene, and then it's just like rushing forward constantly. Yeah. Um so that I think I at least for me was was an issue. Uh, all right, so uh, Jacob, why don't we jump into our uh, grades for the Outlaw King? So uh, let's start out with the script. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and give me your pros, your cons, and your grade? Um, I think it's a very well done script. It was uh, clearly stuff had to be arranged in a certain way compared to how it was historically, uh, because you know. You had to adjust, make things work a certain way, and kind of fit what he was wanting to portray. Um, there were some stuff like kind of clearly it was, the script was meant for a four-hour movie, so some stuff was clearly left out, and some stuff wasn't as delved into. Now, granted, like his wife there's not a whole lot known about her. So it's a lot harder to really flesh out her character in the script, but it would have been kind of nice to have some of those moments a little bit more with like his brothers. Cause he had like four brothers that he referenced and kind of dealing with that, or maybe even a little bit more kind of fleshed out in the character he killed at the very beginning to right before he becomes King common. Uh, the, head of the that clan mm-hmm. um i don't know like there were some moments i think would have been really interesting to kind of see fleshed out or like him interacting with the king one more time uh after his, his whole uh guerrilla warfare that he 
started doing against England. It would have been really interesting to see. But overall, it was a really well done script. Uh, kind of, kind of hard to do a a really good script sometimes with some of these historical timepieces, uh, especially one that involves such a heavy battle based time period. Uh, so sometimes it can get pretty difficult to do, like especially for non modern warfare so it's really interesting and how well done he did with that so i I would give uh this script rating an 82 percent oddly enough we are exactly the same (laughs) oh my um yeah look i basically agree with everything you just said here uh i feel like yeah look the the script is it's good script it's it's not uh maybe a great script and then sometimes it's hard to tell where the excellence of the script uh, falls off and the problems begin with the editing process and chopping it down. Maybe, maybe you look at the four hour movie and it's like a, you know, a fantastically well-told story. um, But you can't tell, well, you probably can't put out a four hour movie most likely. So it's just not going to work. And inevitably, depending on how you edit it, uh, it can be a problem when it comes to, I think, the script and the story that's told. I think the script, though, overall was pretty solid. I like the the characters are well-drawn. I think Robert is is well-drawn. I think beyond just the acting and the what the actors and actresses do with the roles, I uh, just think from a script standpoint, you feel like they're pretty well-drawn. Uh, you see the conflict. You know what the story is. And I think overall it's it's a pretty, you know, well, you understand what the conflict is. You understand what the plot is overall. You understand what people are fighting for on both sides, good or bad. So, uh, yeah, I think 82 is a fair grade. Uh, all right, let's move on to acting. So what do you think about the acting in this movie and what's your grade? Uh, I absolutely loved the acting in this. There really wasn't anyone that did a bad job. Everyone did just so great and it, especially with something that involves uh such a unique personality that a lot of people well, some people kind of equate to being that scottish heritage and that culture it's kind of hard to to really get that down in a not over the top way and one of the things i when i watched this with jordan um she she even kind of noted, I'm glad they did a very subtle accent instead of going too far because a lot of a lot of people think of Scotland, they think of that very thick Scottish accent, but yeah. a lot of people don't realize that's only the Highlands of Scotland that has that accent. <laughs> like uh, it's a lot more subtle and closer to English the when you're not in that area. So I'm I'm really glad that they were able to show that they were very close to England in that sense. And it was a lot more subtle uh, in the accent, how well they did. Chris Pine, I just fantastic portrayal of Robert the Bruce. Uh, Florence Pugh did great as his wife. Like, it is kind of sad that, like, uh, King Edward, the actor, got... Seems like he's getting typecast, like you said. It it's kind of noticeable that he definitely has that fit to f- portray that character, that kind of character, really well. Um, my, 
like I said, everybody did a great job. The only concern I I do have when it comes to some of the acting is it, it kind of falls with some of the stuff I mentioned in the script. Some characters I would have loved to get a little bit more uh, more scenes with, like Douglas. I would have loved to get more scenes with that character. Just here. Like other than just hearing him say yell Douglas and fights because the king banned his name. Like I would have loved to kind of get more backstory with him and kind of get his character fleshed out because I thought he did really well with what he had, but I would have wanted to see him do more. And it's not as much on the acting, but I I liked his character and I thought he was a very fun character for the situation. Just getting so pissed off for his name being banned by the king that he yells it every time he's in battle. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, um, I don't know. Like, I just, I would have liked to have some more time spent with some of the characters that weren't as, weren't clearly Robert the Bruce or the prince or the king. Um, the actress that plays his daughter was freaking adorable. Yeah. <laughs> like, but um, overall, it was just some really just great acting. Um, I would have to give that score an 87. Okay. Okay. That's uh, definitely a, a fair and good grade there. Um, I'm going to have to go with an 85 uh, for me. Um, I, I do agree. I think Chris Pine and Florence Pugh really stand out in this movie. Um, I think that, uh, like I said, Stephen Delane, um, I guess I mentioned that earlier. I, I felt like he didn't do a bad job. I didn't feel, I did, I'll tell you one thing. I did not feel for as good of an actor as, as he is. I did not feel like he brought the same, um, the same kind of dynamic acting to the role. If you go back to if you go back to Braveheart, and um, I'm trying to find him here, it's uh, Patrick McGuhan, who played uh, Longshanks, King uh, Edward uh, in that movie. So, if you go back and you look at his performance in that movie, I mean, look for all the the inaccuracies that Braveheart has, the performance he has in that movie is just fantastic. I love, you know, the way he he is able to bring out the character of Longshanks. And uh, for that, I, I like it. Stephen Delane was a much more dour... Uh, I don't... I, he, did, he just looked like a man who was ready to die. I don't know. You know, like he just didn't feel like there was much to him as, as, as a character, I guess. I didn't feel like they, was able, they were able to pull out as much from his characterization as they were, uh, they could, they did back in Braveheart for all the problems that Braveheart has. So anyway, um, I, anyway, I think that the acting was good across the board for the most part. Um, and I just think that uh, the actors acquitted themselves well. And I do agree with the accent. Uh, thank you for not going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's move on to directing. How well do you think that Mackenzie did as a director? Uh, I think he did a, a really, really great job. Uh, that scene at the beginning, that tracking shot uh, 
was really well done. And like you mentioned as well, like it's very easy for that to be kind of unnecessary or not really well done in any way, shape or form, but it was really, really amazingly done and shot to kind of portray that scene and just everything going on around it. Uh, yeah, it, it was something very, he didn't have to do. He went and he took the risk to do it. And some of the other stuff and like the direction he took and making sure, uh, some of the characters and the actors were going in the way that they needed to, uh, for the scenes. Cause like there, it's very easy for some actors, especially when dealing with, uh, some battle scenes or especially when it comes to children actors for some stuff to kind of get a little over exaggerated and whatnot. And, but he clearly helped kind of make sure that those scenes weren't over the top or everything of the sort. And he, I think he did a fantastic job. I unfortunately have not yet seen hell or high water. I need to, because every time I hear about like look up Chris Pine on IMDB to see what all he's done, that one's like the top one listed for him. One of the top ones because of how fantastic a job he's done. And I need to watch it. Uh, and I'm sure, like you mentioned, he's done a little bit better because I, I believe that one's not as much historical uh, referencing. whatnot. kind of makes things a little bit difficult. I will say that is one thing I kind of can see is some of the issues he's had he had to deal with was trying to make sure some of these scenes didn't take away from the historical value of it, which can cause some other issues. Uh, But all in all, I think he did just a great job. I'm going to give him an 89. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to give an 85. Uh, I think he does a great job. The one criticism I'll give him here is there are times in the battles where it's very difficult to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, it, it, it's not quite the shaky cam that used to dominate theaters years ago um, in a lot of action movies, but uh, I know you're trying to replicate to a certain extent what war is like, but when you begin to um, lose your sense of what's going on around you when you're watching the movie, uh, in terms of like these heavy battles, uh, m- most of the time they were fine, but there was there were periods in in the actual battles where um, I would start to lose the action, and I feel like that could have been improved on a bit. But overall, I think he does a really good job here. I think the cinematography stands out, and his tracking shot is obviously a big highlight there. But in general, I think he just manages to frame the action overall fairly well few issues here and there but overall he frames the action well and he manages to um you know really get in close on the actors when he needs to um there's some um, good lighting in the movie um scenes at night scenes in bed chambers which feel um well done uh, from a cinematography standpoint from a directing standpoint uh it's just a good solid job by Mackenzie. I don't think it really manages to live up to Hell or High Water's direction, but I do think that it is good. So I'm going to give him an 85. 
All right, so let's move on to special effects, Jacob. And what is your grade here? Uh, I gave special effects an 88. I think they did a fantastic job just showing, uh, like we mentioned a few times, it's got a lot of gore in it, but that's how war was. That's how the time period was. And they did a really good job of showing that without being too too campy or too uh too cheesy looking like there was one scene where it was like uh somebody got smacked upside the head and just blood did kind of spurt a little a little far for what i thought it would have it was a little little much but um all in all like i thought it, uh, he did, it was just a fantastic job on the effects and like the catapult shot at the beginning um like that one just so well done uh like it it was so cool to see that scene and how well he was able to bring that scene to life uh and how everything was brought to life and the effects so i'm giving an 88 okay all right i'm giving an 88 too um i i think everything you said <laughs> i really can't add anything to it i think what you just said really sums it up um just good across the board uh it's not just this the little bit of cgi that was used it was also the practical effects the blood um a lot of the stuff they needed to do it was in camera i think they did a great job all right so editing and pacing um i'm gonna give editing and pacing and this is where i really fault the movie uh i'm gonna give it a 70 um like i said i think this really comes down to being a real issue with uh pacing out the story and getting confused at times with what's going on in a two hour movie, which to really be honest, you, you shouldn't. Um, and so that to me was a problem editing wise in terms of stitching the scenes together beyond that problem I thought was, was pretty decent, but I think the, the pacing really suffers. Um, there are a few periods in the, in the movie where I felt like things could get moving. Like the story had kind of faltered a little, but I think my bigger issue is just being confused as to what's going on and how much time has passed. Um, so for me, I'm going to give it a 70. Understandable. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that is well on my end. Um, I, I don't know because it's an, a Netflix release. I kind of saddens me like some situations I don't like when, movies to this we're gonna do make a big deal out of a director's cut or whatnot like because i don't know sometimes it just seems like they're doing it solely because they want to get that little extra like we're gonna show you this cut but it's not our true cut so like you have to spend extra money just to get that scene and get those extra scenes that would have been really great to see but part of me kind of wishes they would have the option for this one on netflix to get either the main cut the the one the final cut or the for honestly i wouldn't mind seeing that four-hour cut to see how well the editing would have been how well the pacing might have gone differently because it might have had those moments where it slowed down let you breathe a little bit because that really was a big issue of like like alongside that there's just needed to be moments where it's like let's not just jump real fast to the next thing like let it let some of the stuff that happened let some of these deaths 
sit with the audience a little bit because it makes those deaths more impactful or the when his wife gets captured like that would have been have like a a moment to let it sit in and breathe Mm -hmm. so that way people can really take it in because like it was super quick after she got captured that they just moved on to something else and it's like well hold on let it resonate (laughs) yeah let let it kind of sit there but like outside of that like some of the other stuff like some of the other editing shots and like pacing when it needed to be fast paced and everything like that was really good but yeah i would have to give it a 75 okay all right um all right and then rewatchability i'm going to give it a, a 75 as well um i think this is a movie that um i enjoy i i will say i probably could see myself watching this um every maybe every great once every few years maybe uh throw this in and sit and watch it. it's a quick two-hour movie uh, i did enjoy myself when i watched it um and i do like myself a, a war movie but uh, it just, it feels like a movie to me that I enjoyed watching it, but I'm not going to rush back like in six months or a few months or next week and just watch it again. So I'll give it a 75. Understandable. I'm going to give it an 80. Mine would probably be down a little bit lower, but with my obsession with my, with Scottish heritage, I, I'd probably watch it a little bit more recently than every few years, probably maybe once a year or so. Uh, like I said, if they did that four-hour cut, I would probably watch that when it released, just so I could kind of see what what they cut out because that's a lot of footage that got removed, and I wanna I would like to know what would happen there. But all in all, uh, an eighty for rewatchability. Okay, all right, Jacob. Um, uh, my overall score is an eighty-two. Your score is an 84, and so, of course, uh, that gives this an 83, which I think is a fair representation of the movie. Sounds good. Excellent, excellent. Well, hey, um, yeah, we'll be doing another uh, movie here in a couple of weeks. Not sure exactly what we're going to do at the moment, but uh, we will be checking out something else here. So check back in two weeks for another review from Jacob and I, and then we will be back podcast-wise next week. Um, Sarah and Barry and I will be reviewing something else as well. So, um, just remember that, uh, we do this every two weeks with Jacob and I, and then, uh, for Barry, Sarah and I, we do it just about every single week, barring an issue popping up. So, uh, thank you for jumping on here, Jacob. Thanks for coming on and reviewing The Outlaw King. And thanks for recommending that as the choice for this episode. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you next time. And thank you listeners for listening to the podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Freaking Geeks podcast. Be sure to visit FreakingGeeks.com as well as our Patreon page at Patreon.com slash FreakingGeeks for more great content. Also, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. Trust us. It really helps. If you'd like to write into the podcast and share your thoughts and ask questions, you can do so by sending your email to freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. You can contact Michael on Twitter using at Michael underscore Lanage. 
You can contact Sarah on Twitter using at Labyrinth Rose or at Freak Geeks. Intro music for this episode is Danger Storm by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. Outro music is Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, which can be found at incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. You can also find the attribution in the episode description as well.